Yulia Babayan. Say say it yourself. Yulia Babayan. Babayan. I like that. Thank you. And today is November 14th, 2019. Um, what ethnicity is Babayan? It's Armenian. Armenian. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you. And were you born in Armenia or here? It's a long story. Okay. Long story. <laughs> we will see over there. Yeah, we, uh, both my parents were originally from Azerbaku, which is a part of what is now Azerbaijan. Um, they were part, they're both ethnically Armenian, and um, they f- first uh, went to Russia uh, under the rule of the Soviet Union to get their education. And then I was born in Russia, we went back to Armenia, and then we immigrated to the States when I was three as Armenian refugees. Oh my goodness. Yeah, we live back because it was a war between Azerbaijan Muslims and Armenian Christians, so it was part of history too. Mm -hmm. Lots of Armenian were killed, was killed in that time, and especially Yulia's grandpa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was killed there, yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So, it was like second uh, genocide. genocide. Yeah, there was the Armenian genocide of 1915 where um, my paternal grandmother, I think, paternal great-grandmother, lost, all, was orphaned. Yeah. Um, so it's been uh, through, I mean, I think it, my generation is the first to mm-hmm. not experience any type of war on our homeland um, and directly mm-hmm. uh, through family. Right. Yeah, and Yulia's grand-grandma, her name is Miriam, and she was um, she was refugee from genocide um, beginning of century, then she was little girl, and by end of her life, then she was old lady, by Again. end of the century, Again. twice in her life she saw a genocide. Yeah, my goodness. Yeah. And the relevant thing about that now is that the U.S. recently acknowledged the Armenian genocide as being that mm-hmm. because Turkey still, you know, has a long way to go in, um, you know, coming to terms with that being what it was. Yeah. So that's where my last name comes from. Okay. <laughs> um, I also want to acknowledge that Gianna is here. Oh, yeah. hi. <laughs> and... You guys are best friends? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We That's met awesome. in middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, she, uh, she was actually uh, really good friends with a girl that I got to know. Yeah. And so we hated we each other. We were frenemies at we first. We were frenemies. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly frenemies. And then... Uh, Once we cut out the middleman, we realized there's no reason <laughs> to be frenemies at oh, all. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> been, just had to cut out the middleman. It's the woman. Oh, <laughs> um, Gianna was actually one of the first people that I told in the parking lot of the radiology appointment where mm-hmm. the radiologist um, said, look, like this, you, you know... Uh, I'm glad you called, and I'm glad you came in, because this is 99% sure this is malignant cancer. Right, when it previously they yeah, were told, and I, no she was way. the first person I called. There's no way this something this big could ever be breast cancer. Don't worry about it. So, I, yeah, I had, re- previous I had recently um, changed insurance, and mm-hmm. I went to a new primary care doctor. Um, Hold on, let's back yeah, up Yeah, let's back up. Farther. I'm sorry. We're no, like this is, this is relevant that of your mm-hmm. guys' friendship of... 
Mm-hmm. Sounds like you have a really awesome best friend sitting next to you. Yeah, she's amazing. And of course, a dear mother. Oh, she's she's kind of asked for a better mother. And as you introduced, this is your tribe. Yeah. And yes. that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So take me back to, you said you were 28 years old when you were diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Um, what led up to your diagnosis in your mere mid to late 20s? I felt a, sh- I felt a lump in the shower. I was not prone to regular breast exams. Um, and you were 28 when you found it? I was it? 28 mm-hmm. when I found it. <clears throat> I had um, a aunt who I considered a second mother mm-hmm. who passed away from breast cancer in 2012. So I immediately freaked out. I was like, immediately, because I, I had already read beforehand um, based on her experience, mm-hmm. you know, something like a cyst has a rounded edge. Um, right. Usually you can move it around. This thing was like attached to me and it felt huge mm-hmm. um, when I lifted my arm in the shower. Where, where on it your was breast like, was it? It was right, it was pretty deep underneath my armpit and attached mm-hmm. to my pectoral muscle. So like up here? Yeah. So like um, I hear that's a very common place mm-hmm, for it. That mm-hmm, and that's where that's where mine was. Too. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. Found in the shower. Yeah. Wow. Same location. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. So you you're describing what sounds like something that was large. Absolutely. Just because of the depth of it, okay. and that's what I hear is frequent as well when it's found, you know, attached to the pectoral muscle or deep. Um, in the cavernous area of the armpit, it's not until it's three, four, five centimeters sometimes where, wow, you know, it's felt because it's certainly like uh, as I've you know gone through the journey, I've realized you know like how else was I supposed to assess it? I'm not going to mammograms at 28. Right. The first physician that I went to told me I was crazy and my boob would have fallen off. Are you oh, kidding? That's what she yeah, said. she that's said. That's why I was like, wait, 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 wait. That's, that's what she said. Let's tell this story. Okay, mm-hmm. so. I know we have lots to talk about, <laughs> sure. but so you're 28, you find a lump in the shower, it feels large, so you're shocked by this. Mm-hmm. Your aunt's recent, what what year was this? Um, she passed away in 2012. And what year did you find your lump? 2017. Okay. So it had been only five years since losing mm-hmm. your aunt. And in between there, you lost grandma. And my grandma passed away from, from cancer, cancer in 2015. No, it was but not from breast cancer, from thyroid cancer. No, from thyroid cancer. cancer. Okay. But just all, you know, mother and daughter on that side of the family. And we have a very small family in San Diego. That's us, basically. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. And then you go to your primary care physician, or who is, in, in being your best advocate and calling your doctor immediately, who did you call? So, um, I actually called, um, scripts Mm -hmm. to, I went through their like doctor's list and, um, like went through their portal and made my filters for preferring a female doctor, one who was accepting patients. Um, and yeah, it was just, I, I mean, in my mind, yes, I was freaking out, but I also wasn't looking for someone who specialized in breast cancer at that point. I just needed yeah. an, like a doctor yeah. to tell me that it was going to be fine. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, a primary care physician I, you, you know, were seeking out. I think that we all have a little bit of hypochondriac in us. Right. And, you know, especially when family members experience 
um, the worst case scenarios mm-hmm. of cancer. That's sometimes the first thing that maybe irrationally comes to mind. And that's what I was thinking at, at that point. That you were being irrational. Absolutely. So you, She didn't help that at all. <laughs> so I was going to say, then you ended up in her office. Yeah. I ended up in Dr. Schlocker's office, and she did some feeling around. I'm just crazy that you remember the name. I'll never forget her name because yeah. all of my oncologists have reminded me of her as mm-hmm. well, when, as I've told them this story. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she did a physical she exam She did a physical exam, and she felt it, and she was like, oh, yeah, that's big. That's, that's so big. That's way too big for a tumor. Sweetheart, if this was breast cancer, your left mm-hmm. boob would have fallen off by now. She was like, I, I'm guaranteeing you this is a fibroid mass. I'm guaranteeing mm. you that it's benign and, you know, it's no big deal. You, you're, you have dense breasts, so mm-hmm. those collect sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then she said, um, I'll um, stand by with your phone on hand in the next week and just to make sure that everything is A-OK, we'll, we'll do an ultrasound. Just to make sure. One week passes. Two weeks pass. Yeah, we lost almost one month. Yeah. I I wasn't freaking out because she totally put my... my mm-hmm. She quelled everything down. She quelled everything down. I finally was just like, I, kinda, I, need, I need to like f- figure out what this is mm-hmm. and see what the holdup is. Turns out she totally forgot to schedule oh, the on. ultrasound. So you were waiting for someone to call you with your referral. Yes. Uh, so then I called, um, the ultrasound people and I got, uh, in the next week. And from that ultrasound, I went by myself because yeah. again, I had no fears. I thought this is just going to be, you know, in and out, in and out. Um, in that appointment, <sighs> the radiologist tech spent about five minutes with me as she ran out of the room got the radiologist in and then there was half an hour of just searching and then she put the the wand down and said um do you see how the spider's out do you see how this and that and she was just like I'm 98% sure that you have a very serious type of breast cancer and uh we need to get this taken care of like right now they never tell you that in the room yeah but and so I go in I've never gone into shock before but I go into shock Mouth open, not processing anything. Yulia. The radiology tech, the young girl. Um, so the radiologist exits the room to see when I could have my mammogram and when she could squeeze me in for a biopsy. She asks me if I'm ready for a biopsy now, she'll do it now. Mm-hmm. Or if she has the time for it now, she'll do it now. So the radiologist tech starts to cry. I'm starting to... I'm crying. Holy shit. <laughs> it's just like... And you're by yourself. By, yourself. I'm by myself. With these kind professionals. Yeah, I'm by myself on my lunch break from work. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so then I um, get a mammogram, and the woman who performed my mammogram was lovely because she did an amazing job at, you know, being mm-hmm. a, 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 a professional and a therapist at the same yeah. time. Um, and they wouldn't let me leave without talking to a nurse practitioner, and they wouldn't let me leave until I promised them that family called, that I called family to come pick me up. They realized that they should, they... Yeah, and then I came back the next day for my biopsy with the same radiologist, yeah, Mm -hmm. with my sister. They, when she called me that day, she told me that before she left, like, they had 
bring you like straight up a, a shock blanket, like put blankets over you because you weren't even regulating like your temperature right. Yeah, I don't. Re I recall very little from um, like the time that the radiologist told me the shock. news, and the the time that um, that uh, well, especially to go from your boob the, would fall off. The yeah. previous physician, mm -hmm. right? This is the second doctor in your journey you're seeing of many doctors. And the first doctor feeling it, acknowledging how large it is. That's the crazy. And thinking that you would be crazy to have a cancer diagnosis. Right. So you are so rest assured. Um, also a very odd way that your doctor responded to feeling your mass. Oh, yeah. Everyone, very odd. Everyone who I, professional, friend, doctors, mm -hmm. texts, everyone has been like, what? And that's one she of the trends that? I'm seeing in women sharing their stories is that these physicians, whether it's an OBGYN or a PCP that's first feeling whatever presentation of abnormality, mm. they think they're doing us a favor by reassuring us it's nothing to worry about. Mm -hmm. Wow. And well, this is common. I'm yeah. seeing this, not in everyone, um, but in a number of stories, more than half. When you just even said that they used the word dense when they were searching in your breast, uh, they used that word even for me. I feel like that's a word that they say like, oh, you're just young, you have dense breast tissue. And a lot of young women do have dense breast it's, tissue. It's true, but I think they use that as like a, they, they use that and say that. Like as an explanation of why you feel something different. What did mm -hmm. she say? It's like a collection? This happens sometimes? Uh, yeah, she said something along the lines of it's a, like a, <coughs> um, Fibro, fi fibro like fi yeah, like like a, a collection of fibroids, basically. Because um, like I have like two right which together. Which I mean, I'm 28 years old. Mm -hmm. 28 year olds don't get breast cancer. Right. Uh, n n no way. You right. know, mm -hmm. the only the only thing that frightened me at that point was that my aunt was diagnosed when she was only 41, which is still considered fairly young. Yeah. And she um for some reason, uh, did not get genetically tested. Um, so, so I, that, that was running through my mind, uh, in terms of the, the only like fear that I had apart from the doctor's reassurance. So you said it was the next day they brought you in for a biopsy. Yes. And, um, I'm sure these are really crappy days for you. Mm -hmm. And how long was it until you received a phone call or the results of your biopsy? So Dr. Schlotsky, the primary care physician, um, on Friday, my biopsy was on Wednesday. They said it would be ready in a couple of days. I called on, th I called on Thursday, <laughs> I called on Friday, and her nurse said, oh yes, we received it's sitting the results. The it's sitting here on the desk. Dr. Schlotsky will call you back. Mm -hmm. She didn't call me back. Mm -hmm. Over the I, weekend. So it was a long I weekend. Remember, she, I was sitting was, with you when you yeah, called. Yeah, she it. called me back on Tuesday and I said, you had, this, you had this in your hands on Friday, did you not? And she said, what? No, I don't know what you're talking about. But at that point, you know, you get, you get a gut feeling about someone. And I immediately recognized this. This was someone that was probably not comfortable recognizing her errors mm -hmm. or you know having a difficult conversation without 
have needing four days to prepare for it. But she said, yes, um, it came back. It's cancer. Um, I've, uh, I could, could, um, what did she say? Pull up a group of oncologists that you can call uh, to see where you want to go next. I kind of left my, that was the last conversation that I had with her. And we ended up that day um, pulling my biopsy results, my breast mammogram scan, pulling all of that and going to, and going to like seven or eight Mm -hmm. oncologists to see what we were dealing with. What, what was, what's her name? Your first oncologist? Dr. Xavier. Xavier, okay. So did you start at UCSD? No, I started at Scripps. Okay. So you, you stayed within Scripps. You just, I'm sure interviewed many a doctors from what you're saying Mm -hmm. and were very confident where you started Mm -hmm. out. Yeah, I was very confident primarily because we have a close uh, friend in the family who is a medical professional, and um, his mother was diagnosed with cancer, and he was very very pleased with uh, Dr. Xavier's reviews. Um. So um, lead me through then your diagnosis. Because are you, um, did you have a stage yet? Did that mm-hmm. come later? Uh, that came later. I, I believe that came after, um, your brain keeps everything organized so well. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> this this part, this and, parts get real tricky. And even these stages, it's almost like until surgery, yeah. we'll keep you. So maybe we'll so, touch on that in yeah. a bit. So, um, but tell you're right. me, was it estrogen responsive? No, no, I was triple, triple negative. negative. Okay. I was triple negative. Lots of blood tests or whatever. I was triple negative. And I mean, we were talking to a lot of different oncologists at that uh-huh. point who were willing to to do preliminary tests while I was still choosing who I okay, wanted to. That's be good. With. Yeah. So that by the time you're going, they they can get you going yeah. sooner. Yeah. And I remember the conversation about um, with uh, a young doctor from um, a partner, a, a part, a UCSD partner. They mm-hmm. were their pri- private group of oncologists that were affiliated with UCSD, and she was the one that broke the news that. It was triple negative, and I will never forget her voice on the phone when she told me that, like, it was life or death, and mm-hmm. the the triple negative gods have spoken, yeah. and it's death. Oh, <laughs> she was, come on. She, she was very apologetic, and yeah. I was just like, I, I just, why is everyone being so dang crabby? Like, we're right. just trying to figure out what we're working right. with here. Like, I mean, it's been years now, but, like, even then... Um, was it is it true or is my memory tricking me that like you maybe were one of the youngest women diagnosed with triple negative in the state of California? No, no. Um, t- at that with, point, with Doctor Xavier, oh, okay. I think Just I was. Dr. I was. Okay. Yeah. Well, it sounds like even for the the primary care physician, you found that she was just not versed in this, which is appalling, considering the amount of women we know. That's part of why I even do this yeah. project and invite you over to tell your story because if not connecting with all these women, mm-hmm. I would be in my prior prior to cancer self thinking that it couldn't happen to me. Absolutely. And I was already 34, 
when I was diagnosed, like That's to be a 28 year old th- and go through 28, it. 28, 34, 38, 40. It's too young. Yeah. Yeah. So triple negative, And then, um, did you do, did you end up having surgery, chemo? Yeah, I had neoadjuvant therapy. So I had, okay. I had aggressive chemo before a double mastectomy. Okay. So I did the AC mm-hmm. and the Taxol okay. and the Carboplatin. Mm-hmm. And then I had a double mastectomy and I had a partial response to chemo. Okay. So they still found nine millimeters of active cancer um, okay. attached to my pectoral muscle. And how large was it in scans prior to treatment? Um, well, we were never able to... Um, uh, in scans, we were never able to uh, lower it under a centimeter okay. or a centimeter and a half. And was it invasive ductal or? Mm-hmm. Okay. So it was roughly 1.5-ish mm-hmm. and starting out and it came down to rough. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Starting out, it, it was, was way bigger. It was four. Four okay, centimeters, and then um, as treatment progressed, it split into two, and oh. at surgery, they took out a five millimeter mass and a nine millimeter mass. Okay, so it did get quite smaller, but formed its own odd presentation. Yeah, and I mean, they were excited about the fact that the margins were clear, and none of my lymph nodes lit up. Mm-hmm. So oh, that's awesome. It, it, yeah, exactly. So were you stage two? I was stage two. Okay. So stage two, and thank you for letting me write this down. And yeah, no, absolutely. Keep, keep your story I think this straight. is the first time that I've ever, from beginning to end, told like, you should story. send us the recording. <laughs> of course I will. Of course I will. Um, so you're stage two, and you're still 28 years old, and you just had a double mastectomy, so you're cancer-free. Yeah, I'm cancer-free, right? and I have a, a you know, I still have, like, an aggressive uh, medical team who wants to put me on mm-hmm. Zolota for six months po- post-mastectomy uh, just to make sure that any stray cancer cells could be zapped. No, I'm not familiar with that drug. Uh, mm. So Zolota is um, also known as capecetabine. Okay. It's an oral chemo. Gotcha. Um that's pretty tough to take. <laughs> so uh, I know that in stage four setting, as long as it works, um, patients can be on it for years at a time. In my case, because it was used as a prophylactic treatment with the intent of zapping any stray cell, should there be any, I was only on it for six months. Okay. So you complete six months of this oral chemo regimen. You're still cancer-free. I'm still cancer-free. And probably... Like, that's where I am right now, right? You're still going through your own journey of mm-hmm. reflecting on what you've just been through. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah. you have likely, we can relate, fresh outlooks on what you want. Absolutely. Right? Because uh-huh. it, you, in in being thrown into this, you wonder and you likely thinking of your aunt. Like, mm-hmm. what what is in store? This is a very serious diagnosis. Yeah. I, I know I know for myself and for a lot of women that I've met with post treatment, you know, the uh, everything just doesn't go away, you know. The the fear is always there. Yeah. The uncertainty will mm-hmm. always be there. Uh, the guilt is there of, you know, if I do get make it through this, why couldn't my aunt? Why couldn't grandma? Why couldn't 
you know, all these amazing women that I'm becoming friends with and losing throughout the year. That's the... Yeah. That's... Um, it's a very serious diagnosis. Yeah. So I was in remission for uh, nine whole months. And um, as hard as that was, you know, towards the end of those nine months, I felt a lot of freedom. I moved out into my own again. I was getting promoted at work. I had adopted a new dog. I was independent and living the way that I wanted to live my life post-cancer. I wanted to move on. Mm -hmm. And then I went to Thailand. And Japan. And Japan. And I came back with a cough. Yeah, we went on like it was a two-week. Yeah. You went with her, Gianna? Yeah, Yeah. Gianna. The the two of us and uh, another one of our good friends from middle school, Michael, Mm. who is... Her papa bear. (laughs) Her papa bear is for real. Um, He met us in Thailand, and a friend, Kelly, came with us to Japan first. The three of us went to Japan for about a week, and then we met Michael in Thailand. So it was a really great trip. And um, you got the, sick there. Though. I got sick there. She went to she, this girl. We woke up and this girl already had found the Red Cross and was like, "I'm gonna take myself to the Red Cross." Aww. I was worried it was strep throat and I didn't want to make it contagious because that was just. She didn't want us to get sick. So I. I'm I, already I, sensing this about Yulia. <laughs> oh. Mm-hmm. That From offering tea to you guys, <laughs> I, I got it already. <laughs> <laughs> So I came back, and a couple months later, I had my three-month check-in with my oncologist, Dr. Xavier. We got scans that day just to, like, you know. routine? Routine. Just because I I had been coughing for, you know, a few months at that point. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've had respiratory infections before, so that's what we were looking at. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I went to Scripps Memorial. Uh got the scan, went home, no, 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 went back to work, and then um, once I got home a couple of hours later, they were calling me nonstop, um, saying that they found two large masses in my lungs. The size of Mexican limes, you said. <laughs> really? Yeah. So, do had they done scans of your lungs during or prior to chemo? Like, how long do we think they were there? Here's the really frustrating part, Mm -hmm. is that there's, there's, Mom, can you put it on silent? Yes, I will. Thank you. She's very popular. She she is. She's (laughs) the most popular. (laughs) There's a, um, I feel like there's a bubble of doctors who are ultra-conservative, and they only do scans mm-hmm. when there are symptoms present. Other than that, every three months they do blood work. My oncologist was in that bubble. I never agreed with it because of how aggressive my cancer was to begin with. But I went along with it because scan anxiety is scan anxiety. Mm-hmm. And if my doctor was telling me that I didn't have to go through that stress if I was asymptomatic, then why would I? The funny part is is that before I had gone to Thailand, I got a scan of my brain and I got a scan of my back because both of those things were hurting me mm-hmm. and those were just totally fine. The only thing that I didn't get scanned was my chest. And I'm pretty sh- I'm like 100% sure actually that the meths were already there. So, 
Which means you're riding scooters around the islands of Thailand with Mets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it is tough to look back though and wonder how long were these there? Exactly. Would, would treatment have been different sooner if we would have just done a scan and known how long we're working with yeah. this? Because then you're also able to gauge speed. Of the mm-hmm. rate of growth, mm-hmm. or things like, sorry, mm-hmm. <laughs> gauging. Do you need that glass of water? Mm-hmm. It would make it worse. Yeah, honestly. Okay. Um, the rate of growth, um, or mutations too. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I wish that we had done things differently at that point in terms of follow-ups. What's also interesting is that. Um, I went to Thailand in November of 2016, oh. <laughs> and two months later, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I then went to Thailand again in October of 2018, and I got diagnosed with breast cancer two months later. Isn't that the thing? <laughs> you haven't gone since, have she's, you? No, she's no. never going again. I love Thailand, no, though. Yeah, I recommend nothing. it to anyone I know, but it yeah. just doesn't vibe with I know with you like to travel. It doesn't vibe with my mutant. <laughs> Booby cells. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, I don't think anyone would think that's a good trend. Yeah, yeah no. Of sure, good time mm-hmm. and good country, but mm-hmm. we don't need you to, to come back from two months after that again. Yeah. Um, so you're 29? No, 30 at this point? I turned 30, yeah. Le- le- yeah, last year. And like, how did. How did the treatment change then? It was like the oddest experience from what my first go-around with cancer was. Because, you know, the intention was very clearly put right up front that this was not to be cured. That Mm -hmm. um, chemo would be indefinite until, until... it stopped working or the risk to benefit mm-hmm. would uh, play too big of a role. Um, so treating the cancer systemically threw my mind immediately for a loop because I was mm-hmm. asking questions like, shouldn't we do a bone density test? Shouldn't we check my other organs? Like how are, what's going on in my brain? And, um, you know, Across all of the doctors that I um, had interviewed after leaving Dr. Xavier, uh, because she was honest and said, I can't handle this. You Mm -hmm. were actually my last breast cancer patient, and Mm -hmm. I'm moving to hematology, and the most I can do is help you find another doctor. Which you can respect if... Yeah. If she doesn't feel she's the best doctor for it. Yeah, it's taken me a very long time to accept... um, to ex- accept the the um, shock of, of her being so bold about that because she had never, the entire time I was with her, she was like, we're going to be together through the end. I think and there was room for her to say it before then. Yeah. So there, was, there was quite a bit of room. You could see that she struggled and she didn't seem to reach out as to, you know... Um, to pull a team in around her to, to fill in the gaps. She was just like, 
she just was just yeah, winging it. You know, on to better things. I moved yeah, so Dr. Then you moved to Shotsky. Shotsky. Yeah. Okay, so you moved directly. Yes. Yeah, and I doctor, had... she's she's my oncologist yeah, as yeah. well. She's, um, I love her. I love she's her phenomenal. too. I mean, she. I, I tell her I love her, and she tells me she loves me. And mm-hmm. you know, and I. So you've been with her for how long? Since December. Okay. And the reason why I was with her was because she uh, was a fellow to Dr. Barbara Parker mm-hmm. um, when I was getting treatment the first time, and um, I ended up going to a second opinion um, with Dr. Parker. Um, because I was at odds with what my with with what Dr. Xavier had prescribed. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't want to do carboplatin. I felt like I had to do carboplatin because we, we didn't get anywhere with the adromycin. So Dr. Shotsky actually took my over my case with um, guidance from Dr. Parker and I got the carboplatin. Okay. And this was after the Mets were found. No, this was way before. This was the first round of chemo. This was the first round of chemo. This is how I met Dr. Shotsky. Okay. Sorry. But you didn't switch then. No. No. I, I, no. I, a lot of my family and a lot, my tribe essentially were telling me, Yulia, you know, were asking a lot of Dr. Xavier when she should be researching and knowing this herself. We're getting concerned. It's time to switch. But my whole thing was, mm-hmm. regardless of where we went, the standard of care for what I was receiving with triple negative stage two breast cancer would have been the same anywhere. And, you're, and I'm not a doctor, but you're probably correct in that. Yeah, and I was tired, and yeah. I you mm-hmm. become attached to your yeah. medical team. Like I, I mean, I I can't speak for you or anyone else, but I certainly did. Yeah, you just didn't want to add any uncertainty to the pile. Yeah, and looking back again, no doctors here that I know of. Mm-hmm. and it may not have changed anything even if you did yeah. because as you're saying if that's standard of care mm-hmm. it's not like they can pull out this secret treatment that no one else knows about yeah and the timeline is already in stone of what the timeline is mm-hmm. um and then when I met Yulia mm-hmm. she was telling me about what was it 28 tumors or no. what was... Oh, no, You no. had some, like, wild... Uh, 40s. Missy, that... you're here at a very interesting oh, time. Oh, you haven't <laughs> know. Yeah. Um, so... So in, in... Don't tell me there's crazier. Yeah, so in March, it was 42 that they found in my head. And was that the next location you were aware of? From my lungs directly to my brain. Wow. Yeah. That must have been really hard. It was my worst nightmare. I remember, t- and friends had relayed this to me when, you know, they were supporting me through processing that news. And one of my good friends, Olivia, said, Yulia, the most heartbreaking thing about this is that, like, in the very beginning, y- you had told me, like, in a, in a very, like, m- more intimate than I had ever shared with her, that mm-hmm. I don't care where it goes, but if it goes to my brain, I'm done. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be yeah. cognitively affected. Mm-hmm. That's so much a part of like my quality of life is to be able to think and be independent and mm-hmm. be able to make decisions rationally. I'm just observing, but your brain seems mm-hmm. incredibly wonderful. Well, we haven't even gone to the good part yet. Okay. <laughs> um, I'll just let you talk. So uh, that we did whole brain radiation, and it was very tough, but it worked. Um, but as of yesterday there are 50 new tumors in my brain and unfortunately um 
my neuro-oncologist says that there's nothing more that they can do. And so does Shotsky. Yeah. And she has since then also received targeted radio surgery since the full brain radiation. For 10 new spots. Yeah. And then this was supposed to be the follow-up like a month and a half ago. To see where we were in those 10 new spots. And he was like, there's 50 more. Like, the chemo that you're on isn't working. We can... It's just time that you have a serious conversation with yourself about quality of life versus um, continuing treatment. Which it, he basically said there was nothing else we could try, which wasn't true. Based on it's just right. He yeah. was like, "I'm a brain doctor. I can't do anything for you," and that was just disheartening. And I felt like it took some power away, you know. But that's because his he was he was done. <laughs> you know, that's he. His it's part true. Was over. His part is done. How does it work with, you obviously respect Dr. Shatsky so much, there's another doctor that your your life is, hmm. and future is in his hands, like, does he confer with her? Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. feel guided in that process? Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a part of his conversation with me uh, was very much oriented around the fact that he had discussed the brain MRI results to Dr. Shatsky, and... Um, and he had relayed to her that his that our ability to fight the brain um it was essentially done the the cancer that is there um won't respond to the treatments that are currently available and because my brain meds are unstable i don't qualify for any clinical trials so so that's where we were there and that was yesterday. That was yesterday. And then today I met with Dr. Shotsky, and she said that there is something we can try. Um, but again, this would be a systemic thing that may uh, give me three months more of life um, on top of the potential six months that I could live with the brain um, metastases. So that's six months is what they figure for your current situation mm-hmm. are you thinking that you're going to try it or to be determined I think I'm going to try it because I'm sorry you don't have to be strong for us or for me Mm-hmm. I know you're comfortable with your tribe. Yeah, we will keep fighting. We will try. I don't know if anyone had asked you that question yet. I'm sorry. No, no, a lot of people. people. Okay. Um, you, <laughs> the only reason why I'm doing any of this is for my family. If it, if it were just me, you know, I could... Uh, I could go peacefully, you know, I, I, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not going to pretend like living with stage four cancer as a young person is easy any day of the week. You know, we can find positive moments, but as a whole, it's a really shitty situation to have to live through knowing that you're just living one more day and trying one more day and torturing yourself one more day to have one more day with your family so so that's been very emotionally 
traumatic for me moving forward knowing that you know how many more um experimental integrative uh painful toxic witchy witchy you know, <laughs> how, how, how much more am I willing to take and um you know I'm we're at that we're at that really sad stage I think Mm-hmm. There's so much love in this room. There really is. You yeah. I was trying to, you know... Are incredible together as mm-hmm. the three of you sitting here. Thank you. There's so much love felt. And so much beauty. Yeah, I was trying to remind her maybe that, you know... You know, you hear the words come out of her mouth that, you know, she does it for us. But, you know, she also has a you know just a limit and um which keeps just you know it just gets further out every time we get close it just gets further out you somehow just pull it off for us um that this news from Piccioni maybe didn't feel good the way it came out of his mouth but maybe is more in tune with what your heart's been feeling did you expect a therapy session? Yes. <laughs> I know. Right. I feel That's like you're trained. I'm like, are you what? trained? I actually trained? just came from my therapist. Oh, good. <laughs> good priming. Um, can I ask you some, I'm going to call them fun questions. Oh, yeah. yeah. So what do you do to celebrate? Like, oh, I go. Right? Like you, you, well, you, you have this, I feel like people are asked the question, like, would you want to know? when your last days are or it be sudden mm-hmm. and we're in a position where you are not being challenged with the question what would you want you're being told yeah so you are given a mindset to fill your days accordingly uh-huh. so what do you do to celebrate um I guess that has changed throughout mm-hmm. the journey. You know, a lot of this year was spent traveling. Mm-hmm. I um, saw that. Yeah, I saw a lot. That. I loved it. My favorite, if you don't mind me sure. stalking images you've posted, I loved the crooked picture you posted. Oh, and in the I don't Abbey? even remember what city you were in. in but I was, it was somewhere in, in London. Yeah, and it was like I feel like you showed me that one of one of the few. Yeah, and it was like some crooked one, and you were like, "But that's." It, that's how I feel, and I'm traveling, <laughs> and I just loved the power and the... Thank you. The, well, I didn't notice, I, I didn't think that anyone actually took notice of how I felt in taking that picture and what I was trying to express. <laughs> oh, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, you probably don't even have any idea how many people yeah, relate no. to what you're writing or posting or I was going to say, you're a beautiful sharing. writer, Yulia, like such a... Thanks, I delete a lot because I get really insecure about um, how much I want to share. Given, you know, a lot lot of my friends are young and I don't want, I don't want to be, you know, that reminder of mortality knocking on everyone's door, even though to like, you know, kind of change the stigma, the negative stigma around death, Mm -hmm. especially in our culture, I feel like there needs to be like a flashing red light of like, hey, it's here for somebody. Like the bus is stopping right in front of my face and this is what it feels like. Mm-hmm. How do you feel physically? Um, I feel different every single day. Hmm. Um, there are days when I'm really tired, when my back hurts because I have 
um, that's, I have oh, yeah, tumors in my back. Skipped now. over that. You know, I have, yeah, I have headaches and blurry vision. I have kidney tumors now that I have to deal with. I have an adrenal gland deficiency that makes me really tired. Um, Having it's hard swallowing. And yeah. You just got CT scans I, today. I, I'm throwing up every day now, and I was, you know, lucky enough to. Mm-hmm. Ha- this sounds the weirdest to say, but like, to not have it that bad, to to, to be able to fight without much pain, um, the past three years has been a blessing from I don't even know where, but um, it's really all starting to, I guess. Um, I'm starting to feel the physical um, consequences of my body being taken over, and um, n- n- and the difference between this pain and the pain of conventional treatment. You know the side effects that you are expected to have with chemotherapy, radiation. You yeah. still look beautiful. Thank you. Your smile. <laughs> Thank you. It's just... so delightful. Oh, I and that's not going words. anywhere. I, I, you know, tell a lot of people that I, I look much different from uh, what I did in the beginning of the year. And that's been something that's been really hard <laughs> to deal with because, I mean, I'm on so many steroids, everything has puffed up and, and it's one of the most menial things. But... No, but I hear you. Yeah. You want to look in the mirror and feel beautiful. As you said, you were sitting in the car putting makeup on before you're coming in because we're chicks. Yeah. What do we do? We like mm-hmm. to put makeup on and yeah. feel beautiful. Certainly. So, Certainly. So to, to pair that with, as you're describing, being bloated, and of course that's uh, not fun. Mm-hmm. But also, uh, you're here for a reason mm-hmm. because you want to share your story. Yeah. And you also know that I'm going to photograph you, and you guys may not have realized, but I, of course, have to get a tribe photo. Yeah. (laughs) Whether you are preparing to be in front of the camera or not, (laughs) it's going to happen. Um, What advice do you have for women out there that might be 28 years old and trying to figure out what their next career move is, or what, what can we share with the other women out there just about anything any type of advice I think that it's important to live freely and without filter sometimes but it's equally as important to be conscientious and aware of your body and not question yourself and your intuition when it comes to your health your sanity Mm-hmm. Or the health and or sanity of someone close to you. Um, I think late twenties is a very special time in life, and I think a lot of growth happens, and a lot of overwhelming uh, growth I think happens when it comes to um, family dynamics changing, careers happening, babies being born, you know, mm-hmm. relationships becoming serious, mm-hmm. and we could certainly grow a lot by ourselves and with each other through that but it's most important not to lose sight of your own intuition and who you are Uh, because the second that goes away it's so much easier to get caught in the toxicities of life and not notice do you feel like you're a 28 year old with good intuition 
I think I was a 28-year-old with good intuition, um, but bad self-esteem. Um, far more insecurity um, to uh, listen to my intuition. I, I, I take full accountability of that. Do you think that these two things had anything to do with, because you also mentioned being conscious of your body, um, do you think you had an intuition something was wrong? Or do you, because it sounds like once you found something, you acted promptly. Like, yeah, yeah. And, you, and you, I feel like she did. You acted accordingly. That, that was, I guess, the switch for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, was, it was not like me to be that serious about that thing. Mm-hmm. It was very, even like my, my close family, my close mm-hmm. friends, the ones that I told they were trying to like talk me down because I don't think that they had ever had enough exposure to my intuition. I never let it out yeah, because I doesn't. was always so worried yeah. about it. So mm-hmm. that doubt was what I presented to everybody. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. But you took care of yourself when mm-hmm. yeah. you knew that you needed to get yourself yeah. to the doctor. Yeah. Um, well, as I said, you have a beautiful smile. And even if someone... Yeah here's this they'll have to look at the photos we're about to take (laughs) or the makeup i'm about to reapply (laughs) to see to see that smile and know that that's right after sharing this story thank you Um, and thank you for sharing it Mm -hmm. thank you for allowing me to share it thank you yeah